Hey everybody and welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of The Rugby Report, your weekly recap and preview podcast of all things rugby. My name is Dwayne Burkhardt and in this episode, we will cover the very last of the pre-World Cup international rugby matches, which took place this weekend, and of course, we'll recap Round 4 and look ahead to Round 5 in the Bunnings NPC League in New Zealand. And speaking of New Zealand... Our international coverage this weekend begins at the historic Twickenham Stadium in jolly old England, where the New Zealand All Blacks squared off against one of their most dangerous arch rivals, the South African Springboks. And it didn't take long to see why. The All Blacks played some heroic defense in the first 20, but always seemed to need to. And eventually the box broke through and scored their first try. Then, an uncharacteristic mistake by Bowden Barrett in the 34th led to a breakaway second try. Then his younger brother Scott Barrett got red-carded, and that really didn't help. Finally, an All Blacks try right before the break was called back on a very ticky-tack call, and just like that, the box took a 14-0 lead into the break. In the second half, well, it just got worse. The box scored in the opening seconds of the second half, and from then on, the All Blacks were simply in too deep of a hole to come back. The box eventually led 35 to nil before replacement scrum half Cam Roygaard provided the only bright spot for the All Blacks, and although it was a brilliant breakaway try, it wasn't nearly enough. And in the end, the All Blacks fell to the spring box by the greatest margin in history, 35 to seven. Should the All Blacks be worried? Should the box be certain of the World Cup? No. While disappointing, this was functionally a preseason game, a warm-up, and neither team was at 100%. Although, full credit to the Springboks, their decision to start seven forwards clearly made a difference, and they just as clearly had a lot more energy in this game. But neither team should expect either team to be the same next month. In other international test action this weekend, Argentina simply embarrassed Spain 62-3. Ouch. But the game that everyone is talking about is the match between England and Fiji on Saturday, where the Fijians took down once mighty England for the first time ever, 30-22. What on earth has gone wrong in England? I don't know, but the British press has, well... Let's just say that they're filled with feedback for the team today. Elsewhere, Scotland trounced Georgia 33-6. Italy somewhat surprisingly crushed Japan 42-21. And Ireland pretty obviously coasted a bit in their four-point win over Samoa 17-13. Finally, earlier today, next month's World Cup host nation France easily took down Australia 41-17. We'll switch hemispheres now and have a look at provincial rugby in New Zealand. After last week's string of ridiculously exciting games, I'd like to tell you that more of that kind of heart-pounding NPC action got underway Wednesday night when the defending champion Wellington Lions hosted the Tasman Mako. But for those of us who saw the game, we know that, frankly, there just wasn't that much action to be found. In truth, there was some decent defense being played throughout this game, But with the exception of one Wellington drive at about the half-hour mark and several rather startling gaffes by the Mako, 
This was pretty much the most missable game of the year so far. And the full-time score was a frankly insomnia-curing Wellington 7, Tasman 0. But fear not, exciting rugby fans, because it would get better. A lot better. Friday night's action began in Manawa 2, where the Turbos, who one more time haven't won a game since 2021, faced off against a struggling Northland Tanifa team. And from the opening kick in this one, the Turbos were turbocharged and determined to put an end to their fans' misery. They were quick, they were confident, and they were aggressive on offense. You heard me, folks. The Turbos were aggressive on offense, and they simply dismantled the Tanafa defense in the first half, sending two men to the bin and scoring 19 points, including a penalty try, on their way to a 19-3 lead. But back came the Tanafa, who closed the game to 19-17 just before the half, and it looked like the tough times for the Turbos weren't over yet. But then, on the stroke of halftime, the Turbos blasted through the Northland defense yet again and took a decisive 26-17 lead into the break. But the second half was all Northland. Their defense recovered and shut down the Turbos. And on offense, while it took them until the 67th minute, they finally took their first lead of the game 27-26. The Tanifa added a penalty... And as the final seconds ticked away, it looked like it was going to be yet another week of heartbreak for Turbo fans everywhere. With 30 seconds to play, the Tanifa had the ball, and all they had to do was run a couple of phases and kick the ball out in order to secure the narrow come-from-behind win. But with just 20 seconds to play, the Turbos get a turnover! but they're 75 meters away from the try they need to retake the lead and win the game. The game enters extra time, and the Turbos become possessed. They know how long it's been, and this is where they draw the line. They will not lose their 18th in a row. Not today. And team captain Braden Yossi pounds the ball over the line, and it is mayhem. It is bedlam in Palmerston North. The streak is over. The Manawa 2 Turbos have won their first game in two years. Full-time score, Manawa 2, 31, Northland 30. And folks, if you don't need oxygen, then you weren't watching this game. Unfortunately for us, our heart rates were given the rest of the night to return to normal, as the Manawa 2 game was the only one on Friday night, and we then began our day Saturday just up the highway in Eden Park, where Auckland was hosting the undefeated Hawks Bay Magpies, who hadn't played in Eden Park in 13 years and hadn't beaten Auckland in Auckland since I was four years old. And folks, I'm 58. So it's been a while. And sadly for the Magpies, it's going to be a while longer. In fairness, the game was closer than the final score implies, but from the start, Auckland simply dominated the Hawks Bay defense, driving them off the ball, passing efficiently. It was a clinic for the first 20 minutes. The teams then traded penalties before the Magpies finally woke up when Falau Fakatava breaks free to the left and makes a brilliant pass that leads to the McClatchy try, and then another try just before the half. And just like that, 
Despite having been outplayed for the vast bulk of the first half, the teams go into the break all knotted up at 15 apiece. But in the second half, Auckland once again simply dominates the line of scrimmage and eventually pulls away. Roger Tuivasa-Shek had a great game and a really great second half. It was 34-15 Auckland with barely more than 10 to play, but full credit to the Magpies, they did not lay down and die. Back they came with a try of their own and a drive at the end to at least secure the bonus point in the loss, but that late drive resulted in an interception and a try the other way. So again, the score is a bit more lopsided than it would have been, but still, an impressive win for Auckland, and the Eden Park curse remains in place for Hawks Bay. Full-time score, Auckland 41, Hawks Bay 22. Next up is my vote for Game of the Week, as the undefeated and radically improved Taranaki Bulls faced off against the always exciting and fun-to-watch Bay of Plenty Steamers. And I don't know what people paid to get into this game, but whatever it was, it was worth it. The game began with about 10 minutes of the teams clearly feeling each other out a bit. And then, at the 12-minute mark, a silent hooter went off, and someone declared, Let the scoring begin! And it did, as suddenly both teams were off to the races. Bay of Plenty scored a try. Then, minutes later, Taranaki responded. So Bay of Plenty scored two more tries, to which Taranaki replied, Hey, we can do that too, and they scored two more. And that's how 38 points were scored in about 25 minutes. And it was 19 all at the break. And in the second half, kind of a replay in the first in a way, For the first 10 minutes, no scoring. And again, both teams probing the halftime adjustments of the other. And then Leroy Carter, who was already having a great game for the Steamers, got a ridiculously lucky bounce of the ball on a kick ahead that he landed on for the first score of the second half. But unlike the first half, that's pretty much the way it stayed. The Steamers dominated possession and position, but didn't score again until Lucas Cashmore made a critical penalty kick with 90 seconds to play. And I should note that both kickers had an uncharacteristically difficult night. Not sure if that was a wind thing or what, but both teams left several points on the field. The Bulls then drove the field and did score an extra time to secure a bonus point in their first loss of the season, but all in all, a thrilling match played by two fun-to-watch teams. Full-time score, Taranaki 26, Bay of Plenty 29. Finally, on Saturday, we head to my favorite stadium in the world. That, of course, is Forsyth Bar in Dunedin for the Battle of the South, as frustratingly winless Otago hosted the similarly frustratingly winless Southland Stags in a match with the Donald Stewart Trophy at stake. And folks, for a game that involved two winless teams, this was a barn burner. The Stag fans were in Dunedin in force, but it was Otago that started the game with a statement, scoring two tries and taking a 12-0 lead. But back came the Stags with two convincing tries of their own, and quick as you like, it was 14-12 Stags. But the Otago offense was unfazed, and roared back with yet two more tries of their own, and it was 26-14 Otago at the half. 
But early in the second half, back came the Stags, closing the gap to within five. But that's the way it stayed, until a tremendous score by Hurley in the 65 minute, and then Otago led by 10, 31 to 21. Moments later, rugby legend Marty Banks entered the game for the Southland Stags, and why the former Highlander great didn't get a standing O just for taking the field is a mystery to me. But it wasn't enough to lift the Stags, and the game ended with a full-time score of Otago 31, Southland 21. Sunday's action began in clearly cold Christchurch, with what could easily be a preview of this year's grand final, as unbeaten four-time national champion Canterbury played host to also-unbeaten defending champion and team that beat Canterbury in last year's final, Wellington. In a game that Wellington often seemed to be in control of, but Canterbury was neither intimidated nor convinced. Wellington drew first blood, but Canterbury responded, and it was 7-5 to the Lions. The Lions scored again to make it 12-5 before Peter Umaga Jensen simply powered his way across the try line, and boom, it was 19-5 Wellington at the break. But in the second half, Canterbury would not go quietly, and Cameron Murray got the scoring going again with a ridiculously athletic move to chase down his own kick and down it for the score. Minutes later, they would score again, and just like that, it was suddenly 19-all. But the Lions are the current defending champions. And they are also not easily rattled. So back they came with a pair of tries to retake the lead 31-19. And then the sun came out. A rarity in Christchurch this time of year. And even though they were playing into it, Canterbury responded again with two more tries of their own. And with just minutes remaining... It was now all tied up again at 31 each. But this, this is the part of the game where real champions rise. But what happens when both teams are champion quality? Well, in this case, Peter Umaga Jensen breaks free on the outside and then makes a brilliant pass that leads to the game-winning try with barely five minutes to play. And that's the way this one ended. Full-time score, Canterbury 31, Wellington 36. We move up the coast to Trafalgar Park now, where the Tasman Mako hosted North Harbor in a game that was frankly a lot closer and a lot more competitive than I thought it was going to be. This was an impressively even, well-fought match between two teams that were, well, surprisingly well-matched to each other. Tasman eventually scored first, but North Harbor responded with an 18-phase drive to tie the game at 5. <laughs> it really wasn't a particularly good weekend for kickers everywhere. Harbor scored again minutes later to take a 10-5 lead. Tasman had a couple of chances to tie the score late in the half as the Mako's Maka Springer got loose. But Sean Stevenson made a great defensive play for Harbor, and because he did, it was still 10-5 Harbor at the half. In the second half, it was just more the same. Except that this time, Maka Springer got loose and there was no one to stop him, and Tasman tied the score at 10. No one scored for about 20 minutes then until Harbor finally got to make it 15-10. to 10. But the Mako came right back, and less than two minutes later, who got loose? That's right, Maka Springer again. And this time he waltzes in on his own, and just like that, it's 15-all 
Oh, and by the way, the teams are now a combined 0 and 6 on conversion kicks. What on earth is going on? Full time comes and goes with no additional scoring, so we went to extra time. But we didn't need a lot of it. Because after a brief possession by Harbor, the Mako drive the field at home when, who else? Maka Springer gets loose again! But this time he passes off to Tavatava Nawai, who pounded the ball over the line and gave the Mako the win. Full time score Tasman 20, North Harbor 15. And in the last game of the weekend, two teams that seemed to be going in different directions faced off as the once great but now struggling Waikato Mulus hosted the previously ho hum but suddenly very for real County's Manukau Steelers. Would the Mulus return to form and get back in the game this year? Or would the Steelers continue to shock and awe their competition? Well, in the first half, it was a bit of both. While very low scoring, both teams played hard and played well. But neither team had a lot to show for it. The Steelers' defense was simply insane, stopping several Mulu drives deep in their own territory and forcing Waikato to settle for kicks instead of tries. Of course, the Mulus were pretty good on defense themselves. In fact, the only try of the first half came after a Mulu miscue that allowed the Steelers to steal the ball and walk in. And the end result of all that was a close game at the half, with the Steelers clinging to an 8-6 advantage. But in the second half, the Mulus got their game on, and their domination in possession began to pay off in points. Cortez Ratama started the scoring fest by taking matters into his own hands, literally, and driving across the line for the Mulus' first try of the game. Although, that led to yet another misconversion kick. Seriously, people, what was up with that this weekend? And after that, the Daniel Simpkinson show began as he got a pair of tries, plus a penalty try, all while the Mulu's defense held the Steelers to just seven more points. You put all that together, and you get what was ultimately a convincing win by the Mulu's and a stunning setback for the Steelers. Full-time score, Waikato 37, Counties 15. One final note about this game. How cool was it to see Chiefs legend Aaron Cruden trot onto the field one last time for the Mulu's at the end of this game? A wonderful bit of rugby history there, and a great way for him to end his long and storied career. Congratulations, Aaron, and welcome home. Checking in on my predictions, I was 17-4 coming into the week, and this week I took several chances on my predictions, and I pretty much paid for them all, as upsets were everywhere, and the result is that I'm a depressing 4-4 this week, bringing my season to a far more terrestrial 21 and 8. Looking ahead to next week's action now, round 4 will end on Wednesday as Auckland will host Manawa 2. The Turbos are coming off their first win in years, but can they make it two in a row in Auckland? No, they cannot. Auckland wins. Round 5 starts on Friday when Northland will host Hawks Bay. Both teams are coming off of disappointing losses but the Magpies are simply a better team. And even though they will be on the road for the second week in a row, they will find a way to win this game. Hawks Bay wins. There are four games on Saturday this week, and we begin with what is sure to be a fun one in Taranga, as the Bay of Plenty Steamers host Otago. The Steamers are coming off an impressive win in Taranaki, while Otago bagged the Stags in Dunedin. So who wins this one? 
You know I love Otago, folks. But in Taranga, I gotta go with the Steamers. Bay of Plenty wins. Next up is my top contender for Game of the Week as Canterbury hosts Taranaki. Both teams were undefeated a week ago, and both are now coming into this game having suffered their first loss of the year. Taranaki has made me a believer this year, folks. They are for real. But can they go into Christchurch and give Canterbury their second straight loss at home? I just don't think so. Should be a great game, but Canterbury will prevail. Canterbury wins. The late afternoon game on Saturday takes us to North Harbor, where the Hibiscus will host the Waikato Mulus. The Mulus have had an uncharacteristically rough start to their season, but they're coming off a convincing win against a much-improved Steelers team. North Harbor is good, and they're at home. But they're just not the team they were last year. And Waikato seems to be putting their game back together right now. So I'm going with the Mulus here. Waikato wins. Finally, on Saturday night, we journey down to the nation's capital where the Wellington Lions will host the county's Manukau Steelers. Make no mistake, rugby fans, this Steelers team is better than in recent years past. But against the defending champion Lions? At home? In a Ranfurly Shield game? I don't think so. Wellington wins this game. Sunday's action begins in the Deep South, where the Southland Stags will host Auckland. Now, when these two teams played last, I thought Auckland would win in a walk. And they did win, but it was no walk. And the Stags were just one tiny play away from one of the biggest upsets of the year. Still, I'm picking Auckland again to win this game, but... They'd better be very careful and take this game very seriously because the Stags match up surprisingly well against them and they are dangerous when they are underestimated. Auckland wins, but only if they're smart. And finally, on Sunday, we stay on the South Island, although we move all the way up to the North End, where the Tasman Mako will host the Manawatu Turbos. Manawatu has now shown that they can win a game, but they still have not shown that they can shut down another team's offense. And Tasman has quite the offense, especially at home. I'm happy for the Turbos and their fans, but this game is going to belong to the Mako men. Tasman wins. Round 5 will end next Wednesday when North Harbor will host Otago, and as I always do, I will call that game on next week's show. And that's it, folks. That's all the more time we have for Season 3, Episode 5 of the Rugby Report. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell all of your rugby friends about our show. And remember, if you visit a mountaintop and the guy sitting there can't answer your deepest questions about life in the universe, don't panic. You're probably just talking to a non-profit. See you next time. This episode of the Rugby Report is the 2023 copyrighted property of Narratives, LLC. It is intended for the free, private, and non-commercial use of its listeners only and may not be rebroadcast or retransmitted either in whole or part without written permission. Please email info at narrativesllc.com for more information.